Camp Gibson over at Hardesty. We had nearly just right at 75 uh, that went and enjoyed the weekend. And we had a lot of fun. We did a lot of things. But really, our focus as a ministry staff was to get our men away and apart uh, for some pretty intensified preaching and some challenging messages and uh, Brother Dan Preston who pastors the Bethany Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas uh, did not disappoint and uh, we was we was we were sure he wouldn't and uh, he has stayed over uh, been willing to do that and preach for us today we love Brother Preston we have we're kindred spirits our ministries are a lot alike our direction our philosophy of ministry our desires uh, to reach those that God's given us are so much alike, and we're thankful that he was able to bring his son Keith with him to, uh, this weekend as well. And so let's welcome Brother Dan Preston back to Fellowship Baptist Church, would you? Thanks, man. Well, it is a joy to be here, and uh, I mean this when I say it. I don't say it anywhere else. And, but if I wasn't a member of Bethany Baptist Church, I would want to be right here. And uh, this is my favorite church outside of the church that God's called me to pastor. And uh, so I'm thankful to be back. It amazes me every time that phone rings and they, uh, Brother Prater, Brother Tyler, ask me to come back and preach. I think, man, I, I just, uh, that doesn't happen often in, in my case. I generally go and preach and they're like, yeah, scratch that guy off the list. And uh, so I don't know if it's just pity or what, but I'm thankful that I get to come back time and again. And uh, looking forward to today and what God's going to do. If you would take your Bibles, go to Exodus chapter number 9. Exodus chapter number 9. And, and then I also, if you are able, I would like you to uh, find Hebrews in chapter number 3. And uh, just put a marker there. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Hebrews chapter number 3. And if you have something you can put in your Bible there. And uh, just help us to save some time here in a few moments. Exodus chapter number 9 is where we're going to begin and uh, I would like to read the whole chapter, but I'm not going to for sake of time. And uh, so we're going to just uh, skip through some of this and uh, this morning. But I want to begin in verse 7, and then we'll read down to verse 12, and then we'll pick it up over here a little later. So Exodus chapter number 9, and if you're there, look at verse 7 with me. The Bible says, And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. He did not let the people go. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handful of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh, and it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. They took ashes of the furnace, and they stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven, and it became boils breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. Verse 12, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto him. Look over at verse number 27. The Lord and Pharaoh sent, called for Moses and Aaron, and said unto him, them, I have sinned this time. 
the Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings in hell, and I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. And so God sent forth another plague, and it was hell, and that hell was mingled with fire, and it so shook Pharaoh that he calls them in, and he says, man, I've sinned, Uh, we've got to get rid of this, go to the Lord, make this go away. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not fear the Lord God. And the flax and the barley was smitten, the barley in the ear, and the flax was boiled. But the wheat and the rye were not spitten, or smitten, for they were not grown up. <clears throat> Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread abroad his hands unto the Lord, and the thunders and hails ceased, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. Verse 34 and 35 is where I want to focus again. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hell and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Let's pray real quick, and we'll get right into it this morning. Thank you, Father, again for the opportunity to be here. And I thank you for, Lord, such a faithful church. And, and Lord, here on this Sunday morning and this Sunday school hour to see this auditorium full, I'm thankful for it. And, Lord, I believe the reason that is is because you have a, a people here in liberal Kansas that love your word, and they want to grow in it. And so I pray that our time here together... And would be useful, and God, that you'd help us to see just a very important truth out of your word in this Sunday school hour that can help us not only today, but each and every time, Lord, we hear the word of God preached. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Children, it's, it's, it's no surprise to, to any of us that children can be very sensitive. I mean, exceptionally sensitive, and they cry for the craziest of reasons. I had one of my staff members, when I was preparing this, just pull up some reasons why uh, children cry, or or some illustrations, uh, crazy illustrations uh, of children crying, and he sent me back some pictures, and I don't have those to show this morning, but some of the pictures was a little boy crying because somebody ate all the muffins, and there were no muffins left, and I mean, he is just beside himself, and and then there was another kid that had crayons in both hands, and mom said that the baby was crying, or the child was crying because he couldn't fit or she couldn't fit all of the crayons in one hand but could had to hold them in two hands and was just beside themselves because they're trying so hard and uh, there was another little boy and uh, that started crying because mom wouldn't let him finish eating the dirt that he was eating and then maybe my favorite was a little girl start crying when mom explained to her that she couldn't marry daddy and she just was was beside herself well We understand that if the same little boy or the same little girl, if they're 25 years later, they're crying over the same things, uh, we would think it's a little strange. If one of the 30-year-old men in here came in this morning and they're visibly shaken and tears running down their cheek, and we say, hey man, what's wrong? My wife wouldn't let me finish eating the dirt that I was eating this morning. We would all go, man, there's something wrong with you. Especially uh, when it comes to men, something happens very early on in our lives, and and that is that that we learn that crying is not necessarily 
going to help us advance socially. And, and it doesn't take long being around other little boys uh, that you break down in tears really pretty young that those other boys will start laughing at you and they'll making fun of you. Ah, oh, he's crying. And so that you learn pretty quick, man, I better suck this up and I better buck up and, and be a man and I better not cry even if I want to. And, and you'll watch it. And even with some of our, our five, six, seven-year-old boys, I mean, something will happen. They'll fall, and, and they want to cry. You can see in their eyes they want to cry. They're looking for a place they can get alone and cry. But with everybody looking at them, I mean, they're fighting it. They're holding it back. And, and so that uh, they just have learned that that's not going to be something they want to do in public. There was a time, though, when each and every one of us we were very soft and tender. We could go back to a stage where we would cry, as I've already illustrated, over almost anything. The toughest of man in here today, there was a day where they would have wept over a dead bird that, that died or, or their puppy that died. And I, I'm telling you, they would have cried over almost anything. But now we have men in this auditorium and, and even ladies in this auditorium that, that really fight back the tears. And, and now there's hardly anything that would cause them, especially in public, to break down and cry. But what happened? What happened? Well, again, at some point in our lives, we begin to fight against tenderness as being something that's childish. We begin to, to, to decide that we didn't want to be poked fun at and made fun of. and so, or, or maybe even it was a dad in our lives that said, hey, grow up and, and, and stop your crying. You man up. We don't cry over things like that. And, and so, therefore, we learn early on that if we're going to get along with dad and we're going to fit in, that we're going to have to learn to hold back our tears. And so we don't cry over the things that we used to cry over. Well, let me say that it's not that different in the life of a believer. It really isn't. Have you ever noticed how soft and tender a babe in Christ is? Have you ever know, noticed just how easily they are moved when it comes to the things of God? Consider a comparison between a babe in Christ and someone that has been saved for years. Just think through this in your mind. A, a babe in Christ and, and someone that maybe has been saved for 20, 25 years. And, and let me ask you these questions. Uh, of those two, the babe in Christ and, and the one who's been saved an extended amount of time, which of the two is more likely to use the altar? Which is of the two is more likely to get excited over a message that was preached and talk to others about it. Who's more easily motivated to, to, to a greater place of involvement in the church? Uh, and what I'm saying is, is you have a babe in Christ and you have someone that's been saved in years and, and Brother Tyler gets up here to give announcements and, and he's trying to put a, a push on something that the church has going on. Which one is more likely to go, I'll do that, I'll get involved, I'd love to do that. Man, that sounds great. Which one? Is it the babe in Christ or is it the one who has been saved for years? Which one is more teachable, more moldable? Which one has more questions? I think in all these we would answer and say it's, it's definitely the babe in Christ. And I'm going to say that just like there are men in this room who would one, at one time they'd cry because mom said, no, you can't ha have any more 
cheese snacks or whatever, and now they won't cry over anything. There are those in this auditorium that were at one time exceptionally sensitive to the things of God and to God, and there were those in this room that at one time could hardly get through a service without coming down to the altar and doing business with God. There's those that in this room that could hardly go throughout a week without seeing something in the Word of God or hearing something through the preaching of the Word of God that at one time made them just very excited and they, they could hardly keep it to themselves. So what happened? What happened in our lives? That we were one time so sensitive and, and so easily moved about the things of God and, and now we're not. What, what happened? What transpired in our lives that, that now we're at a stage where we don't get stirred up the way that we used to get stirred up and we don't get excited and we're not moved to tears and we're not brought to the altar and we're not uh, able to uh, or as excited about getting involved. What happened in our life? I would say to you it's the exact same thing. At some point... It's likely that you begin to fight against tenderness. You might have looked around you and noticed. Nobody else uses the altar quite as much as I use the altar. Nobody else in this church seems to be quite as excited as I am about the things of God. No one else seems to want to be as involved as I'm involved. Nobody else is asking all the questions that I'm asking. So it wasn't that, listen to this, it wasn't that God stopped speaking and stopped moving and stopped working in your life. It's just that you merely, at some point, decided this isn't conducive to fit in around here. And so that I don't think I'm going to respond as much as I have been responding. I want you to now go to Hebrews real quick and look at this verse. I, I hope you have it marked now. But look at this verse, Hebrews chapter number 3. Hebrews chapter number 3. And look at verse 12. You say, preacher, are you going to get back to Exodus? We don't only have so much time. We are. But when we get there, we're going to move real quick. But I, I want to drive this point home. And then simply Exodus chapter 9 just serves as an illustration of the truth I'm trying to get across to you. But look at chapter 3. Look at verse number 12. The author of Hebrews says, Take heed, brethren... Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So he says, take great caution, be aware, pay attention, because there's a, a likelihood that in all of us there would creep in this evil heart of unbelief. Now we're going to talk about that in a minute. He says, but here's what you need to do. Exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of of sin. And so he's talked about an evil heart of unbelief, but then he said this, that we could be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, Hebrews tell us, is going to tell us exactly what takes place and exactly what has happened in our lives. And, and you're going to find the answer in this one word there, and that word is sin. In every single case, from the first chapter until the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, the word sin is defined the same way. It's defined as unbelief. 
unbelief. And so the whole argument of the book of Hebrews is intended to strengthen somebody's faith. It is a, 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 the appeal of the, the writers, the force of the writer's appeal is to, to help somebody against sin and, and this, this, this unbelief and to help them to come to a place which believes. And, and he's saying to them that, that this sin of unbelief, if you're not careful, it's the sin that's going to cause you to become hardened. Now, if we're going to understand this, and understand what this, this, this idea of unbelief, we're going to have to understand and go back into our mind and get the idea of belief. What is belief? All right, so let's use the easiest illustration we could use when it comes to the idea of belief. Belief would be that which brings a person into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's use the belief that saves somebody, that, that brings them into that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And let's answer this question. What is that belief? What is that belief that brings about that, that change, that redemptive change, salvation in somebody's heart? All right? So, somebody comes to a service like this. Preacher gets up and he preaches and he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. The person out in the, in the congregation, they're sitting there and they go, Man, I, I don't have a hard time believing that I'm a sinner. I know my life. I know what I have done. Absolutely, I'm a sinner, no doubt about it. And, and then the preacher not only tells them they're a sinner, but the preacher says that Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sin. And, and they really, they buy into that as well. And they say, I believe that Jesus died on the, on the cross to pay for my sin. And then he says, all you have to do is you have to accept that payment that was made on the cross and invite him to come into your life and you will be saved. And the person says, out in the congregation, they say, you know what, I do believe that. I believe that if, if I'm a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross for me, and if I ask him to come into my heart, he will save me. And he says, in every one of those things, I agree. And then at the invitation, the preacher says, if God spoke to your heart about getting saved today, we'd invite you to come forward and, and ask him and invite him to come into your heart. Now, this person's already agreed, intellectually assented to the truth. They're a sinner. Jesus died on the cross, and that they need to be saved. But the invitation comes, the appeal is made, and they never move. May I ask you this? Is that belief? Is that the belief that saves? It has to then be more than just an intellectual assent to a truth. In order for somebody to be saved, true belief is not only saying, I agree, yep, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's right on. That's what the Bible says. But true belief is not only saying that we intellectually agree with something, but it is the response of that truth. It is the acting upon that truth which makes it true belief. The Bible says, that If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In other words, it's more than just agreeing with the truths of the Bible. A man must act upon it. So belief, therefore, is not merely agreeing with the truth, but acting upon it. So then unbelief, get this, is the refusal to obey the truth of which I am convinced of intellectually. I could take you right on through Hebrews. 
And the author, I believe Paul, is, is saying to them, hey, hey, the, the very reason that so many of your, your elders and of your people did not enter into the promised land was because of unbelief. It wasn't that they didn't believe there was a God. It wasn't that they didn't believe there was a promised land. It, it wasn't that they didn't believe that God could take them to the promised land. It's just that they failed to act upon it when they came back. The spies came back with the evil report. And, and they said, no, we're not going to go on. And they did not have the faith to keep moving forward. And therefore... It was a sin of unbelief, and they became hardened. The end result, when a man believes or hears and assents to a truth and does not act upon it, that's what hardens people. So how do people come hard, become hard? No, get this. How did you become hard? You failed to obey and act upon the things which you know to be true and right. That's exactly what we see going on in Pharaoh's life. I'm telling you, as I preach through Exodus, and I'm now in the, the latter parts of Exodus, which I personally, just so you know, I, I thought would be very difficult to preach in. I'm finding it a very rewarding uh, activity, preaching the latter parts of the book of Exodus. But this part of it, as I was preaching through there, I mean, we're already seeing plague after plague after plague after plague, and God is proving himself to Pharaoh and proving himself to Pharaoh. And I'm reading this, and I'm trying to, to come up with just the whole idea of, of what's going on in chapter number 9. And all I kept thinking was, man, why isn't that Pharaoh, went, how is it that Pharaoh isn't getting this? I mean, God is doing so many miracles, and God is showing so many wonderful things, and it's like every step of the way, it wasn't that Pharaoh could not see and did not see that God was at work. It wasn't that he would argue that there was a God in heaven that was doing this. It wasn't the, any of that. He understood and he completely knew what God was doing. And he knew that God was doing this through Moses and the children of Israel. But I, I was just amazed when I just kept looking at it and going, Man, how is it that he is so hard? The, the chapter begins, and the Bible talks about how that there's going to, the hand of the Lord in verse 3 is going to be upon the cattle of the field, and the horses, and the asses, and the camel, and the oxen, and, and the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel. And so the next day in verse 5, tomorrow shall the Lord do this thing in the land, and the Lord did the thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died, and all the cattle of the children of Israel died, not one. I mean, it was very clear. God said, I'm, I'm going to bring this judgment down on all of the livestock, and you're going to look over here at Israel, and you're going to see none of their livestock die, but you're going to wake up in the morning, and every piece of livestock from, from the, the Egyptians, they're all going to be dead. And Pharaoh, he sent, and behold, verse 7, there was not one cattle of the Israelites dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people go. What's that saying? Again, it was not that he did not realize that God had brought judgment upon the Egyptians, that God had done this. He would have agreed. If we could have went to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, do you believe that God did this? That he left the Israelite cattle livestock alive and, and that he smote all of the livestock of the Egyptians. Do you believe that God did this? He would say yes. Do you believe that if you don't turn to God, that God could do and will likely do more of this? Yes. Are you going to act upon that knowledge then? But it says, according to verse 7, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Because he didn't believe. 
he didn't really believe because he didn't act upon it and go, okay, I give, I give. And so the Lord sends Moses again in verse 8. says, take a handful of ashes of the furnace and, and let Moses sprinkle it up toward heaven. And it's going to become small dust in verse 9. And it's going to be boils breaking forth with blains upon man. A very painful judgment. And so Moses does that very thing. And the Bible says in verse 11 that the magicians of Pharaoh, they could not stand before Moses because of, uh, because of the boils. For the boil was upon the magicians and upon the, Egypt, uh, upon the magicians. And upon the Egyptians. Now, now don't get confused here. Verse 12. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. It's simply the same process taking place there again. And it's just simply saying that when we know something to be true. And we know something to be right. But we don't act upon it. So yet one more time. Pharaoh is brought to a place of decision. A place where he had to decide, am I going to follow God? Am I going to listen to God? Or am I going to go my own way? And Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to do it. And the whole idea of the Lord hardening his heart wasn't that, that God personally did that. It's that that's the process that happens and the Lord allows to happen in our lives when we do not obey. And by obey, I mean act upon that which we know to be true. And so Moses, in, in the middle part of this text, he has a message for him. We won't get into that. But we come to verse 27, in, or rather verse 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, and there shall be maybe hail in all the land of Egypt, and upon man, and upon beast, and upon every herb of the field uh, throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hell and fire ran along upon the ground and the Lord rained hell upon the land of Egypt. Hey, we're no, we're no strangers to a hell storm around here uh, in this part of the country. We've seen some. We've seen some pretty nasty hell storms. But I'm telling you, we've never seen anything like this. And so once again, God's saying, I'm going to get a hold of your heart. I, I'm going to make you understand, Pharaoh. I, you have to see that I am God. And he wanted everybody else there to see that he was God. And so here comes this hailstorm like maybe no other hailstorm ever. And, and the hail is mingled with fire. And as the hail hit, the, the fire would run along the ground. I'm talking about a scary, scary thing. Pharaoh finally, in verse 27, he calls for Moses and Aaron. He goes, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and it's like he's at the very verge of finally going, okay, okay, I give, you win, I lose. He says, I and the people, my people are wicked, and the Lord is righteous. Just go and entreat for the Lord, for it is enough. Now, I don't want there to be any more thunderings and any more hell. I'm going to let you go. Moses said unto him, as soon as I go out of the city, I'll spread abroad my hands upon, uh, unto the Lord, and it'll cease. Verse 34 and 35. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more. In other words, he one more time he changed his mind and said, No, I know I said I would act upon this. I'm in full belief. His opinion that he was, God was righteous and he and the people were wicked, his mindset did not change. The only thing that changed is that when God took the judgment away, he said, I'm not going to act upon this. Now listen to me. If that's us, and God does the first judgment, and, and this is not the first, it's, it's one of many, but God sends that judgment, and, and, and we say, 
man, I, I see all the cattle are dead and, and, and I see what God is doing here. I, I would hope to think that we would say, all right, God, we give, you win, we lose. So how is it that Pharaoh could time after time after time? In fact, you know the story, 10 plagues. And it takes a 10th, the death of his firstborn. And even after that, he shows his hard heart. So how is it possible? If I said to you today, listen, God wants to get a hold of your life. God has, God has something great for you in your life. And, and here's what you need to do. And you walk out of here and say, no, I, I don't think I'm going to do that. And I say, okay. But I'm just going to tell you, all the livestock in the whole county here, all Seward County, all the livestock are going to die tomorrow to prove to you that God wants your attention. And you say, okay, I, Whatever. You wake up in the morning and it comes true. How do you think you respond? If I come back to you and I say, all right, here's what we're going to do. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to cause these sores to, to come upon every individual in this entire county. Because God wants to get a hold of you. How do you think you respond? And, and I'm, just, I'm just simply pointing out that every one of us would go, man, if that happened, I would say, I would say okay, God, I would give. I, I, would, I would certainly listen to him. I don't think there's any way possible that I would resist if God was doing something that big around me. Then my question is, is how in the world was Pharaoh able to resist? Because he was hard. Well, how did he become hard? Because God turned water into blood. And he realized very quickly, there's a God in heaven. I'm not him, but I should listen to him. But he didn't do it. And then God brought some frogs. And he resisted again. And God brought another plague. And another plague. And another plague. And now the plagues are becoming very grievous. Massive plagues. And he's going, no. Because his heart's hardened. Let me ask you this. How is it? That you come to services week in and week out and hear some of the best preaching in this country from the staff members of this church. And yet you're not moved. Why, why is it that even at times you have to bring in preachers from outside of this building to come and preach in hopes to move some of you? But even then, you're not moved. Let me ask you, when was the last time you were moved? When was the last time that God so got a hold of your heart that you responded to him? Here's the truth. At Bethany Baptist Church, I've been there for three years. Just, just coming on, I would have candidated just in a couple weeks, three years ago. And I have multiple families at Bethany Baptist Church that in three years not my preaching not Brother Tyler's preaching not your pastor's preaching not Michael Jones's preaching not Dave Hardy's preaching nobody's preaching has ever stirred them to be moved I've never seen them respond to anything 
how is that possible in three years? And I'm talking Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. How is it possible that for three years, not one person, not one message, three times a week, and they were never moved? Now, I'm not saying every message I, I preach is a grand slam. Few of them are base hits. Uh, I know, I know. Uh, trust me, I know when I walk out and I look at my wife and I go, man, that was kind of a dud. She always responds, very honestly, it was a dud. You better work harder this next week. Thank you, dear. You're quite the encourager. I, I get that. But not every one of them is a dud. So what happened? I promise you, if I could take you, and I could call their names now and I won't, if I could take you back to this guy's life or this lady's life or this individual's life, if I could take you back, I could take you to a time where they responded to everything, where they were excited about the things of God. But somewhere along the line, they sat in a service and God spoke to them and they agreed, but they didn't respond. And they got a little hard. And they came back another service, and God spoke to them, and they didn't respond. And their heart became a little harder and a little harder. And now it has been years. And I dare say that if Moses himself, if Peter himself, if the Apostle Paul was to stand up here and preach, they would not be moved because they're so hard. So what's the answer, preacher? Here's the answer. Belief. Don't just sit there when your preacher preaches and intellectually assent to the truth and go, that's Bible, that's good. Don't you dare just sit out there and go, amen, amen, that's good stuff. No, you better walk out of here every service saying, not only do I believe or agree with what was preached, but here's what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to act upon it. Hey, no matter how hard you are today, I'm almost certain if you'll start the process of responding after every message, you'll see that hardness go away. And you'll return to that babe in Christ you once was and be so sensitive. And you'll see God will do some great things. All right, let's pray and we'll get on to the next.